Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. All of us are here today. It's so exciting. I'm Mary Simon, joined by Amy Gunn, Megan Crow, Liz Lenevy, Erica Slater, and Elizabeth McNulty. And ladies, today I want to have a discussion about the concept of humility. And of course, I wanted a definition of it before we could start talking about it. And I look it up on Google and the definition said having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. That's what it said when I Googled it. And I thought, no, I disagree with that (laughs) because I do not have a low estimate of my own importance. So strike one. I looked there. So instead of looking up the definition, I looked up examples of humble people. And I'm thinking, you know, people historically will come up as I'm Google searching. And the first thing that came up said religious leaders. And I thought strike two. I think it might depend on, you know, who's looking that up. So then I try another search and it gave an example of political leaders being examples of humility. (laughs) So strike three, I decided I know better than Google, which, (laughs) you know, talk about humility. And I I finally found a definition that I liked because it went the most along with my own definition of humility. And that was humility is the modest perception of one's own significance. And I was like, Okay, I can kind of get down with that a little bit more than having like low self-esteem, which is how I read the first one. So I then looked up this concept of modesty and I really liked this aspect of it. I think this is where I'm going to settle on how I define humility, which is still funny because I'm going off of what I think is the right way. But it's it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself. And that lands with how I kind of conceptualize this idea of humility. And when I think of great examples of humility or being humble, practicing humility in my life, I think of my parents. I think my dad is probably my, you know, lowercase h hero in my life. And my mom is my capital H hero. And I say that because she is always someone who puts others before herself but not in a martyrdom way. It's in like a confident way. It's something that's super admirable. And one of the ways that I see humility being exemplified in my life through them, particularly through my mom, is she always gives credit where credit is due to other people, but doesn't over ask that of herself. And I was thinking about not just the definition and who's an example of humility in my life, but also what does humility do in its application? I think there's a difference between practicing humility and then just innately having authentic humility. I feel like I can tell when someone is authentically humble versus checking the box of considering what someone else has to say because it's, you know, the last item they have to do in a meeting or something. It's the feeling of authentic humility is one where if someone asks me for my input, they actually care to hear it. And I think that's a practice of humility. I don't know. What do you all think of when you think of authentic humility? 
I just think of your parents. <laughs> no, <laughs> seriously. No. Yeah. no, it's true. Um, that's a really wonderful thing to be able, for anyone to be able to say about their parents. But I hope they listen to this episode and, and hear their daughter say that. Because I'm sitting here like, man, if my kids are ever talking <laughs> about me that way, one day I will have done something right. I think that humility... When you see it in other people, it's such a wonderful quality to recognize. And I don't think it necessarily has to be something that you see from someone all the time. You can express humility or I kind of think of goes hand in hand with grace sometimes. You can express that or have humility in a situation or give someone grace in a situation that's coming from your own humility. And it doesn't have to be that you have put yourself second or that you are passive or that you are not confident or you don't know your self-worth in a situation. Elizabeth, you distributed an article before we recorded today that were the 13 Habits of Humble People from Forbes Leadership Strategy. And reading that was really in tune with what I think about when I think of humble people because it's talking about people who work from and act from a place of confidence and a place of, if you've heard that phrase, like if you're doing a good job, you don't have to tell anyone. That to me is the epitome of humbleness. That doesn't mean you're not a person who can self-promote and, you know, accurately and fairly give yourself credit for a job well done. I think it's kind of the way you carry yourself through situations and through life and consider others, understand that you are a part of something much bigger. But at the same time, I mean, every single person's world revolves around them. And even the people I've seen who are the most wonderful example of people who live their lives to serve others, your worldview and your experience still comes from the center of that experience being you. So humility to me is the quality that you see someone carry themselves with through situations and in their interactions. But also I think it can be something that you end up practicing or something that you grow into. I think for in my own experience, when you're thinking about that idea of you know, you don't have to tell anyone if you're doing a good job. That also comes from a place of confidence and knowing your self-worth or knowing your importance or contribution to a strategy. So it's so funny to think about because we're thinking about all these dichotomies. Right. I echo your intro, Mary, and your reference to your parents. Because when people who don't know John ask me about John... Almost universally, my response is, he's just such a great, humble guy. I mean, really, that humble is one of the first adjectives that I think about when I think about your dad. And obviously, he he's that way because of your mother. I mean, let's be let's right. be honest. Of course, <laughs> a great age here. Full endorsement. <laughs> but I really I echo that. I just I think that's really important for our firm to recognize and for those of our listeners who know our firm. I think it starts at the top, and I appreciate your father from that. I have learned many many things about how to handle situations from him on that single principle of humility. Pivoting though to a broader idea. The first definition that you noted, uh, humility, basically is low self-esteem. I agree with you. I'm like, well, no, I think really, okay, stay with me. This is the exact opposite of true. I think extreme confidence 
is humility. It breeds humility. Yes. Yeah. Because you can be very confident in your decisions. You don't need adulation for them. You don't need credit for them. If you do something really wonderful for someone, a favor, a a charity, something like that, humility means that you don't need to be recognized for it. You're doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it for something other than yourself. So I think of myself as a very confident person, but also I do try to be humble you got to catch yourself every once in a while because you can, I do, speaking for myself, get caught up from time to time in, well, I do this too. You know, where's my name? And it's a very fleeting moment. Don't get me wrong. But I think humility also means oftentimes being uncomfortable in the spotlight and just basically not needing that credit in order to influence how you're doing the next thing. When we first started talking about this topic, I had two sort of personal definitions of humility come to mind. My personal definitions of humility came from this work environment. And I think it's very true that that is the culture here. And so I've been able to see really good examples of humility. The two definitions that I thought of, the first is sharing wins and being able to take a responsibility for a loss. I think truly humble people don't want the spotlight all on them. They want to give credit where credit is due, even if it's something small, like, you know, doing a day-to-day task, like filing a motion. You give thanks to your team who helped put together the exhibits and did the filing and your colleagues who you strategized with. And at the same time, the flip side of that, taking responsibility for your portion of a loss is one of the overarching traits that I see humble people really exemplify. And then the second thing that came to my mind was maintaining a willingness to learn and continue to grow. When I think of the opposite of someone who's humble, it's someone who boasts about their accomplishments and thinks that I'm the best here, I have nowhere else to go. The flip side of that is someone who's humble, I think of they take their win and they acknowledge it. And um, like we've all said, it's not belittling your self-worth. It's acknowledging your accomplishments, but realizing that there is still work to do and there is still ways to learn and grow. And I think that is the second most important trait of humble people that I see. Yeah, it's interesting, Amy and Megan, the way that you have sort of put humility versus what is the opposite of humility? Like, what is the true antonym of humility? And the initial dictionary definition you provided, Mary, of, you know, it almost sounds like it's low self-esteem. That almost makes it sound like confidence, being overly confident. And that's not what I think of when I think of what is the true opposite of humility. I think of ego, An ego in the bad sense of someone who is so blind to everything else around them that they think everything that has good that has happened to them is 100 percent only their doing. (laughs) And that means you have blinders on to your own privilege, to your own luck, to the people around you who help you both at work and at home. And so that's why I, I believe humility is truly a sign of strength. It's a characteristic that we should all strive for and work for. And I think Truly, the way that I was raised, very much my family had the perspective of like, you stay humble or others will find a way to humble you. So make sure you're watching yourself. And so, Mary, when you initially pitched this topic, I did the same thing of I went to Google and I was like, well, what is the definition of humility truly? And I came across the same one that you did. And I took the similar route of I just kept searching until I found a definition that I liked. And the definition that I stopped on that I thought, okay, that one's not so bad, is freedom from pride or arrogance. 
And when I think freedom from pride or arrogance, I think of the idea that pride and arrogance and pride being a bad thing in this context. I know we can start to argue about what exactly does pride mean? And we had that episode on what are you proud of? I'm using pride in the same way as ego. And so when I think about the visualization of freedom from, it almost seems like it's shackles. Like you are holding yourself down. Your pride, your arrogance is holding yourself down. So when you are free from that and you are truly humble, you're able to, you know, obviously be a better person. But that means that you are a better person in every sense of the word, both your family. How are you at home? You're a better person if you are free from pride and arrogance at home and similarly at work. And that sort of bleeds into also just leadership. How are you as a leader? Who do you want to work for? Do you want to work for someone who is humble or someone who is arrogant and egotistical? And then it starts to break down for me even further of when you think about humility as a character trait, I think that that's what separates leaders from bosses. Because anyone, can, I think, can be a boss. Like, you can boss people around. You can, uh, you know, give assignments all day and delegate all day. But truly, if you're going to be a leader in an office, in your work setting, in your professional field, then that is going to require humility. I was smiling as you were talking, Liz, because it reminded me, you know, of what your parents said to you. And I remember growing up and I worked at various places in high school, just, you know, like hourly spots, like after school or something. And and I remember coming home really aggravated because, oh, gosh, I had to stay an hour late to stack the chairs right at the place that I worked. And I was so annoyed. <laughs> and I remember like so ridiculous, you guys. And I'm like even embarrassed to say that. And I remember coming <laughs> home and complaining to my parents about it. I was the only one at home at the time. And I remember my dad saying to me, and it wasn't the first time he repeatedly has said to me the phrase, this world doesn't owe you a living. <laughs> and and I, so he would say that to me all growing up. And you guys can even hear him, right, saying something like that. And I thought about it. And I think that, that that's humbling, right? And if anyone who's listening to this podcast has never been in a room where everyone is truly on equal footing, those are the spaces in my life where I've experienced true humility. You know, it's a privilege. I'm very, very privileged. And I have said that before on this podcast, I've been able to spend time in, you know, in countries where really you go into the store and it's just one option for every necessity that you need. Amy, to your point, you have these moments where you kind of get caught up and have to take a step back and evaluate it. That's one of the reasons why I love this podcast, too. It helps us kind of reflect on how we're doing on a different level other than just what's our latest accomplishment or, you know, and I just I appreciate that so much. There's something to be said about being able to, you know, from a leadership standpoint, Liz, it's essentially it's kind of like a leadership position when you're counseling a client. There's something to be said about being able to convey that I'm not more important than you. We're of the same value, of the same worth. And if we're not able, I believe this, if we're not able to have our clients know that about us, we are doing them a disservice if they're ever in a position where they're feeling that any any ounce of our energy towards them is not reiterating to them that they are just as important as we are, that's so significant. You know, it changes your whole relationship. Mary, it's funny. I'm laughing now because you're telling your story about your dad because my dad had very similar, you know, dad-isms to what you've just described of, you know, the world doesn't owe you anything. You're never too good for any job, anything like that. And, you know, it's particularly relevant for me right now because we're recording this on a Friday Tuesday is going to be the nine-year anniversary of my dad's death. 
it's been nine years since my dad passed away. So I've been thinking about him a lot. And you're telling your story about, you know, the dadisms. I think that this one sort of ties into what we've been talking about today, which is shortly after my dad passed away, you know, you do that thing of where you start cleaning through everyone's stuff. And, you know, you're going, I was going through his like filing cabinet and clearing through all of his paperwork and everything. And I found this just random piece of paper with something scribbled on it. And I was like, oh, man, what if he wrote something like really moving, like, you know, one last thing. He's telling me one last thing from the grave. And I got really emotional. I picked it up and I read it. And it was <laughs> one line on an entire sheet of paper. And it said, the further up the flagpole you go, the more your ass shows. Period. <laughs> End of statement. <laughs> That should be the new definition of humility. Right. And that's what I was thinking of. And, you know, there's a couple different interpretations of that saying, and it's a military phrase. But when I think about that, when I think about humility, I'm like, all right, look, the more I go up the flagpole, the higher up I get in whatever situation I'm in, career aspirations. You know, I've gone from going to college, going to law school. I was the first person in my family to go to college, first person to go to law school, anything beyond college. I'm an attorney now. Like, there's a lot of self-importance in that. Like, I'm climbing the flagpole. And the further I stay here, I'm getting more years under my belt. I'm feeling more important, gaining that confidence. But I also got to remember, the higher up I go, the more my ass will show. Exactly. So stay humble. So I just, <laughs> I sorry, your that. dadism just made me think of that. I had to. That is amazing. I love how this conversation, I think that we're all kind of reflecting on like our childhood and like how much our parents influence, like how we see ourselves today and lessons in humility, I think. And I certainly learned it in a different way than the two of you. I think that growing up, I think I was praised a lot for all of my accomplishments and that helped develop my self-esteem and my own confidence. And I think that because of that, I don't feel the need to like spout out my own accomplishments as much because I always heard it as a kid. So I don't need to as an adult. And I think that the older I get, the more I respect parenting and how hard it is. I mean, I don't have children yet, but I can only imagine like how difficult that must be and how like the pressure you feel to try to raise, you know, humble kids. That are, and I think that all of y'all's parents, you know, did a wonderful job because I'm certainly in a room of very humble people. And reading through that Forbes article, I mean, I don't like to talk about myself much, but I recognize a lot of the things that I think of myself. And I think that's why this conversation has been difficult for me, because I, I don't really know how to articulate humility, because I think it's something that like I practice, but I don't know where it came from or how it just kind of how I am. So I think the self-reflection is important, but I would credit it all to my upbringing, as it seems like a lot of us do. Has anyone recently watched Inventing Anna? No, not yet. I've seen clips here and there. I can't figure out her accent. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It, that is confounding. But so it's a wonderful series. Kept my attention. So Vivian Kent is a reporter that the story kind of surrounds. If you know the actual story it's based on. And... I love the actress. She plays it perfectly. But throughout this entire time where she's researching this woman and writing this article, this expose, if you will, she's pregnant. And she is, like, ticking down the weeks. And, you know, her own psyche and her own motivation is very much a part of the show. And when she goes to deliver, like, she's in the middle and she's got to, like, dig deep and figure out how to birth this baby. And she starts like shouting to herself, like, I'm not special. This is not special. This happens every day and like goes on and on. And I'm watching that and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's how I get through things too. 
Like if you put yourself in context of the universe, you realize you got, I don't know, 80, 90 years here, maybe, and you're a speck. Totally. (laughs) And, you know, it kind of puts everything in perspective. But I think that concept goes along with humility and what motivates you. And to think of it that way, almost to think that I'm not special, this is not special, motivates me to do things for the right reasons and to find a why, if you will. And it's just an example to me of how people who live their life with a humble perspective and understand that the world does not owe them anything, it does not revolve around them, and our purpose here is to have a connection with others and get through your day hoping that you left it a little better than when you woke up, I think is the way to ground yourself in humility and also apparently get through birthing a baby. (laughs) Erica, I'm reminded of last year in May when I had not too long before that joined the firm and tried my first case and I lost my first case and we talked about it on the podcast. And when I told John Simon about it, his only words to me were, you should lose your first case. It keeps you humble. Absolutely. And I had the same experience. There's something to be said for that. And I will always say that, too. I lost my first case in a very sweeping fashion, I would say. I thought we were doing great. And then the foreperson walks in and the foreperson is like the guy who lives in his mom's basement in his 30s and plays video games. And I'm like, guess who thinks that I'm every girl that dumped him in high school? (laughs) (laughs) The foreperson. And sure enough, a sweeping victory for my opponent. And that is always what I've thought. It was a gift. And I agree with you. I've always said that. Now, had I won my first case, I'd walk around being like, Let's pull the jury. I won. (laughs) (laughs) Inside joke to other listeners. You should go back and find that in the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe I'd have a different perspective and talk about how, I don't know, losing my second case kept me humble. (laughs) But, but, you know, we rationalize things however we need to. (laughs) My first case that I first chaired, I won. Liz. All right. You unicorn. But hey. (laughs) I remember being so excited and I was texting Amy about it and Amy was at a conference with other lawyers. So she told the other lawyers about, hey, you know, Liz just won her trial. She first shared it. And I got a text message from another attorney who's never texted me before. He got my number from Amy. We've not really talked that often. And he texted me and he said, hey, it's so-and-so. Congratulations. But remember, they won't all be like this. Enjoy it. Period. Wow. It was less than an hour after I had gotten the verdict. <laughs> wow. I was like, you're really not going to let me enjoy wow. Yes, exactly. It's bringing you down to earth immediately. But you know what? It was good advice. It was good advice to be like, oh, yeah, they're not all going to be like this. But also it made me in that moment enjoy what I had accomplished that much more because I realized, especially on the plaintiff side, this is a hard job. Nothing's guaranteed. You're leaving a lot up to chance and there's a lot of work that goes into it, but also a lot of luck. And so that was really solid advice from him of enjoy it. They're not all going to be like this. I remember, Liz, after the first plaintiff's verdict in the first trial I worked on, it was like a couple months after I got licensed, but I had been working on the case for a couple of years. And 
as my dad and I were leaving the courthouse, I was like, whoa, you know, that was so fun. That was so awesome. And the first thing he said to me was, what's your next case? And (laughs) immediately asked me what my next trial was. When was the next trial date set? I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. So we're not okay. That's done. Uh, We're leaving the courthouse. Let's talk about, I mean, I think the next Monday, that was a Friday. And the next Monday, we had a meeting about the next to-do list on the next case. And it's just, if that is not a practice in humility from a leadership standpoint, I don't know what is. And that's why it's so healthy to have that in your workplace. Yeah, we just won a case that we've been working on for three years. It was a really great outcome for our client. And all I'm going to think about now is what our next task is. That is so humbling. And I want to give the listeners kind of an idea of practical tips to kind of help cultivate humility in the workplace. And we can have some practical tips that apply no matter how far you are in to your practice. I think the first thing for me that comes to mind is listening. If you are working on a case, whether you are first chair, second chair, third chair, whether you're just doing research for somebody else or whether you own your own firm, the most practical example of humility, I think, is asking for input from the folks you're working with and listening to what they have to say, not in a way where they finish their thought and you don't ask them a single question about it. You just move on to your next point. Actually listening and getting input from people you work with is such an easy, it's an easy way to practice humility. I work on cases a lot of times with my dad and I believe him when he calls me and asks me for my input when a decision needs to be made in the case. And he says, I'm thinking about doing this. What are your thoughts? I am five years out and he wants my input on a decision. And I believe that. I believe that he's asked all of you for your input on case decisions and he actually wants to hear it. And that is something that I hope every person who's listening, no matter where you're at in your career, you have that opportunity to either pay it forward to somebody else or the person you work for, you're able to communicate to them. That is an important thing for the two of you to do. When I think about at least humility in the workplace, what does it mean to be humble in the workplace? The thing that I always try to practice is never think that you are too good to do any task that you ask someone else to do. Meaning that we have so many people that help us on our teams, paralegals, assistants, law clerks, the people that clean up around here, like the cleaning staff. I should never feel that I am too good to do any task that I expect someone else or I've asked someone else to do for me, whether it's I need my paralegal to call Medicare for the fourth time this week, which is the most irritating thing. It's incredibly frustrating calling any government agency, frankly, and I hate doing it. And I always appreciate being able to pawn it off on someone else. But I understand that there are times I'm going to have to do it myself and I should never think that I am too good or I'm too important to do that task, or what we ask the law clerks to do. A lot of the research, the writing, the discovery that I hate doing, I hate reviewing and preparing discovery. I'm never too good to do it, though. And so that's how I try to think about my job, at least, when I think about humility, is that I'm never too good to do anything, and everyone has value for the tasks that they do here, and they should be appreciated for that. And I should always be sure to say thank you and job well done, because just like I want people above me to give me recognition for the things that I've done, I need to make sure that I pay that forward as well. 
I would kind of echo what I said in the beginning, which is not only sharing your wins and giving credit when it's due, but also taking your share of responsibility. And this has, you know, a couple different meanings, I think. One is if something doesn't go your way or you make a mistake, taking responsibility for that. But another is just taking responsibility for your team and um, recognizing that as an attorney, which many of our listeners are, you have paralegals and assistants working for you and their actions reflect on your actions. And taking responsibility for that, I think, is an important act of humility and graciousness. As Erica said earlier, grace is a huge component of humility. And I really agree with that. And then the second thing that comes to my mind as a tip, if you will, for maintaining humility, this may be a little bit harder to put into practice, but I think finding intrinsic motivation is really important as opposed to extrinsic motivation, doing it for the accolade, for the award, finding a reason inside yourself to want to do things, whether it's be to learn or to better yourself. So finding that intrinsic motivation, I think that's been kind of an unspoken theme of what we've been talking about today. Another one that I try to practice, and it's sometimes easier said than done, is accepting constructive criticism and feedback. It's something that certainly receive a lot in your first few years of practice, or really your first few years of any kind of job or career change. But in always seeking to improve yourself, constructive criticism is one way of doing that and kind of taking your own personal feelings out of it and know that the person that's giving you that feedback is trying to help you be better at whatever it is you're doing. And it's not a personal attack on your own abilities. I think that that's really important and something that probably our profession could use a dose of humility as a whole. But taking feedback, I think, is because you're never too old to be taking feedback or constructive criticism. I think that even if you've been doing this for 20 years, there's things you could learn or things you could be doing better. So I think that's really important for any kind of job you have. And also along the lines of what Liz said, it's really important and something that I try to remember to thank people even if they're just doing their job. I personally don't always need that good job, but I think that a lot of people do, especially in our work, because it can be really difficult and the little tasks are really crappy for the people that have to do them. And as lawyers, we forget that because we think that what we're doing is so much harder. And that's not necessarily true. So it's really important to thank those people and even just a blanket like you're doing a really great job. Like, thanks for all the hours you're putting in. Like, don't forget to do that. Take care of your people and set aside some time to like get to know them on a personal level because that is so important. And really, I think it goes a long way in getting good work out of your people. The other day, Amy and I were having a conversation about just plaintiffs, attorneys in general, and, you know, kind of the bad rap that they get sometimes. And she made a comment that like, hmm, nobody around here really like lives flashy or is, you know, like parking their Maserati outside of, you know, the courthouse and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And she just stops and she goes, Well, I guess that's pretty much by design. (laughs) And that goes to what we were talking about. It comes from the top down. And so my advice, if you will, this isn't always in your control, is to surround yourself with people who emulate these kinds of qualities, who are humble. You do have control over your peer group. You don't always have control over your family and your work family. But that may have a lot to do with where it might be a good fit for you if there's a culture and a firm 
of humility, if you're surrounded with people on a daily basis that you admire for that quality, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to emulate and implement in your own life. And the last thing I'll say on this is in the Forbes article that was mentioned earlier, one of the habits of humble people listed in that article is that they know when to ask for help. So someone who practices humility knows that they don't have all the answers all the time. They can't do everything all the time and they know when they need to ask for help. And I think this is an element of humility that I can really struggle with sometimes. And part of me does believe just being a female trial attorney, I just, I always feel like if I'm doing 100% at work, then at home I'm doing like 70%. Or sometimes there's those weeks where everything is, you know, nothing's really working at capacity. And I remember right when I was preparing to go on maternity leave, I had a trial coming up and it was a case that I had been working on for years and I was so excited to try it. When I found out I was pregnant, I knew that it was going to be three weeks into my maternity leave. And I remember telling Amy, well, you know, I'll be like a month into maternity leave. So maybe at least a couple days into the trial, I can go down there and I can still prepare to put on a witness. And it's laughable to me today, <laughs> thinking that I would ever be able to do that, knowing where I was three weeks postpartum. But I remember Amy telling me, and still at this time, I'm like, I'm nearing the end of my third trimester. I'm still thinking I'm going to be able to do all of the pretrial work, all of the motions, even some of the oral argument. I mean, I am gearing up to do every single thing I possibly can do in this case and have a baby and then still show up like on no sleep and be able to perform at my maximum capacity and work. And Amy told me she kind of laughed at first. And then she said to me, look, there are times for you to be superwoman. And that is not the time <laughs> to try to be superwoman. And I was like, oh, so you don't think that's going to happen? And she was like, no, 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 no. That is not the time to try to be overextending yourself. And that humbled me. Because in my head, I see her, right? Like she's the person I look to when I'm like, oh, I can do all of those things. And I bet that's what Amy did. And I can do this. It's just that humbling moment. And I don't know if it's specific to female attorneys of just that feeling the need to like, well, you know, the guys don't have that same situation. So I'm going to be able. There's a very specific reason why they don't. <laughs> but in my head, I'm like, oh, my gosh, well, this will be my trial. And then I'll be set back. And then my male counterparts will be having their trials and they won't have to sit out trials for months at a time. And it's just I was way too ego, way too in my head, way too like, why am I caring about me showing up at this trial? It's because I want to be at this trial, second chairing. I'm this far along in my career. It all had to do with how I'm being perceived. That was my motivation. And just when I get a laugh from Amy, I was like, OK, Mary, we need to go home. And hey, you can't know. You cannot <laughs> know. True. And How's if there's that? someone out there who is doing that, good on you. That's great. It absolutely wasn't me. And it definitely won't be me if I have more kids. That's for <laughs> sure. And with that, everybody, thank you so much for such an enlightening discussion on this concept of humility. I know that I have a lot to work on in it. But also, I'm thankful that the workplace that we are in cultivates that. And remember, listeners, you can always reach out to us with any comments or questions at comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law. See you next week.
Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and check out other legal podcasts in the Simon Law Firm Library. The Jury Is Out with John Simon focuses on lifelong learning to elevate your practice. Subscribe today. Subscribe today.